welcome to the Be Glad Movement. My name's Pollyanna and I'm on a mission to bring you as many stories as possible of good coming out of bad and reasons to be glad. In this episode, which was recorded back in 2018, I talked to Alice Bromage, who was in the army for over 20 years. Her career took her to some really interesting places and had her working with all different cultures. But in this episode specifically, we talk about the effects of toxic leadership on a team and how one person's abhorrent behaviour has the ability to undermine team morale. Listen on to hear Alice's story, what she endured and how her business now delivers comprehensive training to teams and leaders on the importance of resilience and good leadership techniques. Good morning, how are you? Good, thank you so much for for coming along and um, offering to share your story. I'm going to just sort of get out of the way and let you dive in and uh, and tell us all about it. So over to you. Okay, um, so I guess a little bit of um, background as far as I was in the army for 20 years and I left uh, 2016, um, so I had real benefit of being able to travel around the globe and work in many different locations okay. um, and as ever the workforce we are working with is always an eclectic mix of backgrounds and people um, and also types of people so um, one of the things I wanted to cover today actually was about potentially the impacts of uh, toxic leadership and how you can come through the other side Um, so from that aspect often especially when things like we think of trauma we'll Mm. think of it from being from a big bang from a specific incident but very rarely do we actually think that maybe that instant might be from human contact. Um, And whereas I've worked for some amazing people where I just feel incredibly lucky and, you know, they're the kind of people that will make you want to get out of bed irrespective of what time of day it is and work twice as hard as you would ever think was possible before. And then I've also worked for some atrocious, toxic, uh, hideous really lovely human beings when you speak to them because Mm -hmm. they often don't even realize they're doing it but they have an absolutely hideous secondary impact onto the working environment right um so i guess that was where i thought when we're discussing resilience sometimes it can feel like it's just one person's story and yes they get through to the other side whereas mine's potentially a little bit more um about a group So as far as it is still my own, as far as when work, so I've had now three specific toxic commanders that have really stood out over my career. And in fact, probably four, (laughs) maybe five Um, (laughs) in hindsight. But uh, so from that aspect is um, it doesn't matter whether they're male or female. What really matters is how they make you feel. And also how they drain your energy. Mm -hmm. So I take the idea that, so I now do resilient leadership coaching and training. And one of the big issues is when people talk about burnout is a lot of it isn't necessarily intellectual burnout or physical burnout. It's probably a mixture of both where they then almost hit a point of exhaustion where they mentally don't want to continue and their body is therefore also just saying enough's enough. 
Sure. So, and the link with the toxic leadership is a little bit like eating food that doesn't agree with you or having too many beers and maybe not feeling so good the following day is that you have a residual hangover, not hang ups, but a hangover from mm. being around toxic people. So when your body is busy dealing with stress and emotion, it uses up all sorts of hormones which need to be replaced. And that's where potentially when you have exposure for a protracted period of time to a commander who is either um, knowingly toxic or, or bullying, basically, wow. uh, or where potentially they've got quite a few sociopathic tendencies so they'd have no empathy they don't even realize how mean they're being and the way in which that's manifested for me in the workplace has meant that when I'm running teams is that they will come with very short notice decisions so that people may have decided to you know they might have their work planned out or they might have visits to their families booked or they might have you know, work trips that are all built and every, and the commander will just expect you to swivel on a pin and mm. everything has to be orientated around them. So mm. even for example, when I had my family staying and my parents are, my dad's 85 and my mother's 79. So I was in Germany at the time and the likelihood of them ever coming to Germany to, and you'll appreciate being a, a service family is your family coming to visit is quite a big deal, especially if like mine had never been to Germany before and they visited me maybe twice in 20 years. <laughs> wow. It's quite a big deal. Yeah. Um, and we had one of the soldiers that needed to be disciplined and I absolutely was not required for that discipline process. Um, yeah. But the commander knew that I was going to be with my family. And therefore when I said, well, I, I won't be in the disciplinary hearing because I'm not required. And the, the individual, you know, part of the disciplinary process does not require me to be there. I would only be there as a field officer as an addition yeah. And he, I was allowed to take my family to Amsterdam to be able to drop them off at the airport. And literally as we hit the city, which was a couple of hours drive away, I got a message saying, nope, you need to be back in the office. And I said, but you already know I need to be away with my own family. I said, nope, you need to come back. So I ended up having to transpose my family into a taxi in the middle of Amsterdam rather than just being allowed to have an extra two hours and finish off the task. And that sounds really, really small. But when you are wanting to spend time with your nearest and dearest and you're away on tour all the time, mm. and I've spent most of my working career away on tour, um, being able to drop somebody off at the airport or being able to look after them and finish a task you'd promised to do. And I think it's the promising to do part, which is more important than necessarily what the act is that can become really important. And so when I, I then drove all the way back to Germany, went to, into the hearing, I wasn't required. I was literally sat in the seat in the corner. Soldiers didn't need me. They had their, uh, their defending officer already. All of that had been put in place. Absolutely no requirement for me to be there. And as I walked in, I said, oh, well, Alice, it's kind of up to you on whether or not you're here or not, really. Oh. <laughs> and I was like oh my goodness, you've just brought me back from the Netherlands, from Amsterdam with my very elderly parents now in a taxi unescorted and you're now just saying, oh, well, you're not really needed. Mm. So, um, but the long and short of that was is that it got to the stage where he would be so beastly and hideous to 
everyone around him, but also at the same time, very charming. So that classic of, you know, when you meet somebody who charms you and then mm. I'll stab you in the ribs when you're not expecting it. Yeah. But actually, so I was looking after a team of um, 80 plus at the time and it got to the stage where I didn't even want the commander to come through the door. Okay. So I did not know what the impact of them coming into my building and dealing with any of the soldiers that I was responsible for would be. And so from that aspect is, yeah, I literally would have to manoeuvre around, always making sure I met them somewhere differently or that essentially I became the buffer. Right. And so that they wouldn't get burned. And the person was quite vindictive. And if they could find a reason to blame somebody else rather than look at their own behavior, they always would do. Um, Anyway, so the resilience comes of that was ironically, I'd actually chosen to work for this person because they'd said, oh, Alice, you know, I'm going to be out in Germany. Why don't you come work with us? That'd be brilliant. It was atrocious. So so you've also walked into this environment yourself because I didn't know this um, person's secondary behavioral tendencies. Right. And um, so where the resilience comes in is one, being able to put up with that very passive, aggressive, soft, undermining aspect. Mm-hmm. And the other aspect is that I had the fortune of actually, well, not one to, so how do I put this without sounding big headed, but essentially I was one of the, top performers of the unit so from that aspect I had the backup from home of knowing that in external circumstances this individual was putting me forward as being a good person to work with but what I could see to him doing so I was quite lucky in that for the first period I didn't really get launched at or attacked as much as the other officers okay which meant that again so I not only had to be the buffer between my soldiers and other staff and the the individual but also between then later was the other officers because I had nothing to lose if that makes sense (laughs) yes like a lioness protecting their cubs was the idea of allowing this abhorrent behavior into our environment I would rather absorb it myself sure and And, that must have been really exhausting for you Yes, that's that's where the exhaustion comes, absolutely. Ah, oh my goodness. Um, But the resilience where the good side of that story is that, ironically, that's probably driven me now to be doing the leadership and resilience training is because I never, ever, ever want to see anyone having to go through that. And the other soldiers and officers that actually, after they'd had exposure to that abhorrent behaviour, a lot of them have left. Oh. Um, and actually, to be fair to them, I see them occasionally or you hear from them occasionally. They are now doing brilliantly. Okay. So when people talk about the fact that you have to really get to the bottom of depravity and despair is you've seen really how subtle and small activities can undermine a team and also that it's really not required. So then the flip side of that is you also can then learn that the little aspects of how to run a team, of how to get people to bond together, of showing some empathy, of asking, asking somebody how they are, can really make a difference. 
And I hope from what I can gather, we've now got one of the team is one of the entrepreneurs to watch in Edinburgh in Scotland this year. Another oh. of the guys has set up a, an international security and risk company. And I hate the, hasten to add, these are all the juniors. This is not any of the officers. Oh. <laughs> this is all the junior NCOs, which is phenomenal. And quite a few of the others are now on the international training circuit, teaching intelligence applications and uh, doing other amazing work and all doing really, really well. And when you chat to them and you look at the adversity as a, you know, the strength you need to be an entrepreneur, the adversity you can have when you're leaving the forces and then what you need to be able to go into different workplaces, different cultures, different communities. All of the guys have done so phenomenally well. And I hope part of that is because they've seen what happens when mm, strong-willed people, but with a questionable intent or a very personally orientated intent are allowed to do what they like. Mm. So the good aspect of that is all of the guys, whenever I see them are now very orientated about what they can offer back, looking after those around them. You know, they've really seen the secondary impacts of what happens when you don't look after people. Mm. And, and I hope also this positive side of, of that you can make a difference. So again, whilst I was trying to buffer them, they would then help provide buffers for each other. So it was very much like a kind of onion circle of being able to almost like protection, <laughs> protection sure. from internally rather than protection from the Taliban. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and I hasten to add during this period, they were all deploying. So every single sort one of those individuals had a deployment during the period they were with us. So the idea that it's more stressful inside camp than it is on tour is totally crazy to me totally crazy and so I got asked one day I said right they were my son major said right so mom how many uh you know how many people is the minimum when he first arrived said what's the minimum we want to have on camp and I said the minimum is none he said what I said well up to you whether or not you want to be here I said but none of the rest of us want to be here (laughs) so one of the coping strategies was also getting us into the mountains, take, getting people on tour, doing loads of training. So proactively filling the time with constructive activity that supported the army still, supported people's personal development, but also got them out of that toxic environment for yeah. as long as possible. Or when they were home, putting them with their families into you know, good activities. Mm. Um, so yeah, I guess from the resilience perspective is a little and often yeah. being kind to each other, looking after each other, um, taking time out, watching each other. So we did lots of mental health discussions and resilience, uh, which unfortunately got switched off after I left, which was a real shame. But we had this amazing, amazing guy who was a Rastafarian from Brixton. (laughs) And so he had these massive dreadlocks and drove around in a big old Volvo estate car that looked like it was on its last legs. Um, but of course, because he was such a contrast to the normal military person, mm. that meant that actually he was perfect to come in and we'd get the whole company together and just get them to talk through what could create stress, how to look after each other. Is somebody being ratty? Is somebody not able to communicate like they would normally? Therefore, mm. look secondary into that. What's going on at home? What's going on in their personal lives? Um, how are they coping with their work schedule? you know, what's, what's going on inside their mind. 
And to be fair, of course, the blokes didn't sit down and go, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. But they all turned up. Right. Not they had much choice, but yeah, they all had <laughs> But in hindsight is, you know, that's one of the things I've really missed at other units and now into Civvy Street is that open discussion about what creates the stress factors for us. How do you then overcome them? What to look for in each other? So that actually if you catch somebody before they're at the point of exhaustion, so much easier to help bring somebody back sure. in comparison to, you know what it's like, by the time you've keeled over at the end of the day or at the end of a long, busy period, it takes you quite a bit of time to recuperate. If you'd actually just taken that little bit of rest beforehand, if you'd had that chat on the phone with somebody that you know that can be supportive, yeah. then you, you would never have got to that breaking point. Exactly. And that's the interesting piece I do now is, especially with companies and people setting up their own businesses, is helping them trying to work out where you are on the camera, uh, work out where the breaking point is and then make sure that we start putting in the coping mechanisms here so sure. that they never get to the breaking point and that they can actually recognize, oh, I'm starting to get close to there and bring themselves back. Right. Um, so I guess that's my resilience piece for today is never underestimate how looking after someone else will actually make a big difference and also it will help look after yourself in the longer term too. Because yeah. irrespective of how dreadful that human being was, I know that as a team, whenever we are in contact, ironically, that's probably what bonds us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of four, three or four years later. And even some of the officers left with, you know, hugely, hugely battered by this abhorrent human being. And um, I now see them thriving. Their businesses are thriving. They've... I, I bounced back is such an understatement. I know how much they've had to work to get there. Yeah. Um, so when people talk about bouncing back too, is never underestimate how long that might be. Right. Sure. You know, sure. that might be several years, but when people say, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm back on form or yeah, I bounced back. Nobody talks to you about the fact that's two, three, four years later. Right. And uh, it's literally, so I posted something on Facebook yesterday which was essentially reasons to stay alive. Okay. And one of them is that you never know who you're going to meet tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And so like you might that. be able to help them or they might be able to help you. But for a lot of the guys, it was literally that bad that we were having to do discussions about how to keep them mentally safe and mm. okay around such toxic individuals. Sure. So there we go. <laughs> Um, I love it. It's a great story. It's, uh, I love what you're saying about how that actually that, that bad situation or that bad person has made you guys bond more so because you lived through it together. Um, and the, yeah. And the really sad part is that as a human being, they're not, they're not nasty. Right. That was what made it so tough. They were charming. They thought they were kind. They would tell jokes, all the other bits, and had no concept of just how toxic some of their behavior was. Right. Right. Um, so that was even worse. It wasn't as if they went out to be a nasty person, which is quite often the way. So they're often quite manipulative because they'll even they'll know how to get people to do what they want. Right. Mm. And that's the slightly scary part. And then, I, saw yeah. the, 
tell me a bit more about your business now and because in my head I think when we first spoke I was thinking are you going you know I know you're helping other people start their businesses and looking after themselves but there's part of me that almost I almost want you to be going and teaching people like that how to not be awful yeah that is that is exactly what we do well not so much not to be awful. so part of what we do so part of a team that does resilience leadership coaching and oh. training and part of that is helping people find their authentic self right and so actually ironically is that quite often when you're seeing especially toxic leadership come out and poor behavior when I say poor behavior, that's when people lose their temper, they might raise their voice unrequired, that they just kind of, you know, have a very short fuse and, and aren't thinking rationally. And that doesn't, that's not good for your family. That's not good for you. And it's not good for your business. So yeah. relatively speaking, one of the things that, you know, we look at four different elements of helping people in making themselves both resilient and productive. One of those is uh, clarity of direction. Because once you know what you're trying to achieve, do you know what I mean? It makes a lot of the rest of the decision-making much easier. Sure. So, whereas when you're not quite sure, which comes back to the idea that a lot of this behavior comes when people aren't really sure of themselves, they might appear very self-confident on the outside, mm -hmm. but actually that's not really true. It comes back to the difference between self-assurance and self-confidence. So that yeah. self-confidence person being the person that's like, yeah, you know, the, the, big, the big I am, Whereas the self-assurance is the belief, the self-belief that what they're doing is absolutely right, that they, but in a, in a good way, if that makes sense. So the self-assurance that they're happy with themselves, right. that they're not having to belittle someone else to make them look bigger. They're just, you know, when you meet somebody who's so relaxed about themselves. Comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, completely touch. comfortable within themselves. And so that's really what we try and help develop is that authentic leadership. And the other part is resilient decision-making. So being imaginative, being flexible, but also making sure you've thought through the second and third order effects. For example, what might the effect be on your family? What might the effect be on yourself? When you make a decision, actually you're about to create more stress than the, uh, the problem you're about to think you're about to solve. And that also then comes around to awareness. So awareness of yourself. So especially, I mean, I know your hubby's, in the military so mm. you'll appreciate that we're not necessarily good at self-care right you're always encouraged to push harder push harder push harder you're working for the team you're working for the organization you're working for the purpose you're never encouraged to just work for you sure. if anything that's almost um something that you're not encouraged to do in fact i wouldn't say almost you are absolutely not not encouraged to think of you first others yeah. later you're always encouraged to think of others first you later exactly. well 20 years down the line that starts to take its impact because if you're not looking after yourself you can't look after anyone else no. it's a bit like when you're in the aircraft they always say put your mask on first yeah. then put it on everyone around you but for some reason the military never really encouraged bar when you're doing your gas mask tests <laughs> um yeah. So, you know, but we don't often sit in an office and go, gas, 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 because that's just not what you do. You're always told to look after everyone else first. So part of the other resilient leadership piece is understanding yourself and those around you and what they need. And what they may need is often continuity, calm, 
somebody that they know that they can trust implicitly to be able to deal with stress, that person isn't the one who's on a sleep deprivation exercise, mm -hmm. has overworked themselves to the extent where they can't function anymore, and yet is in their mind thinking that they're doing their best because they're just pushing and pushing and pushing. Right. Yeah. So and then it comes back to the idea of the environment around you. So, for example, like in Germany with this guy was I knew, right, I know physically I only have one door. That means you can't get into the office unless you come through that door. So we would I asked at the start and said, are you happy that we will come and do all of the work in this communal area, which was somewhere different? And therefore, it will be our private workspace. And please may I request that anybody coming into our workspace rings and asks beforehand. Right. So um, it was, a, and, and of course, why would anybody think that's odd? They wouldn't. They go, yeah, of course, no problem. You know, yeah, I'll just give you a bell before I drop a pop across. And so then I'd always say, oh, it's because I want to make sure I put the kettle on. I want to make sure we can welcome you appropriately that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You can always make sure that it's given in a positive outcome. But that literally meant you could almost draw the broad, draw the broad, uh, excuse me, draw the drawbridge up. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, by locking the door. So if you didn't want someone to come in, you could just lock them all out. <laughs> so yeah. weekends, I'd quite often work in there by myself. And then, um, and then the final piece is leadership presence. So the really big piece, which I think is fantastic and where we all draw on the good and bad experiences we've ha had is helping people find what fits for them. So, so often when people talk about leadership, they put up pictures of Gandhi and Winston Churchill and mm -hmm. whoever else. And then you've got, you know, the people to be vilified. So you've got Hitler and Stalin and well, actually for their own nations, they were still really, you know, there are facets of that that you have to look thousands of people followed them. Sure. They may not, you know, intellectually match with what we believe in. We might believe that their output was abhorrent. Mm. But in it, you've still got to look at, well, why did humans follow them? Yeah, yeah. Good so point. it's helping people do a, a way of looking after themselves and others that is really true to themselves, but is also very ethically based. So when you're then looking at how the toxic leaders over time have been able to manipulate large volumes of human beings, you go, okay, well, where was the decision? Where was the issue in their decision making? Where was the kind of ethical boundary that was being broached? Yeah. So part of it is also helping introduce people to ethical decision making, which you would think is very natural for us to do until the chips are down and you really want something to occur or, you know, you're, you're, you're put in a conundrum of, <clears throat> do I share a piece of information or do I make an investment or do I actually ask everyone to work over a long weekend? And, and then you, you know, it's, okay, that may not sound like it's going to be an ethical conundrum unless there's say, for example, somebody turns around and goes, Oh, but actually we're meant to be burying somebody this weekend, which I've yeah. had in the past. I'm like, what? Why haven't you said anything? Well, but mom, you said we all needed to be in. I'm like, oh my goodness, no, this is this is all need to be in apart from the things that are going to be, these will be moments in your life you'll never get back. Yeah. So it's helping people actually realize that as commanders, irrespective of whether that's running your own household, running a small business or running a massive conglomerate, is you all have that responsibility to look out for each other and sure. to encourage others to look out for themselves ironically is so then you've got your staff proactively and those around you looking after themselves well that takes the pressure off you 
then they still have the ownership of looking after themselves. And similarly, we then with the commanders or the, the leaders, you know, be it team leaders or the CEOs of businesses is saying, right, you have the responsibility to look after yourself, which for most of them, they're so busy focusing on their business, they forget to focus on themselves, on the fact that if you don't look after yourself, there is no business. Sure. That, yeah. you know, it, that you'll start to make poor decisions, you'll start to behave erratically with staff, well, in which case that starts to undermine all the good work and intentions that you have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's where, and the resilient leadership is fantastic. It's been developed over 20 years. Um, so ironically, the guys who've set, who've developed it over time were already developing that program when I was starting in the army. Oh, so they've wow. been going at it for a long time. They're amazing. So it's a complete mix of um, corporate, couple of military teachers a really eclectic mix from across which is why good leadership and good um working practices are completely agnostic to the working space it's all about bringing out the best in people enabling everyone to perform be happy and i think people are often think that it sounds very trite to say to have a happy workforce but you know like when people say happy wife happy life i'm sure they yeah. say that I said to my husband. That's literally what I used to say to the boys. It's like happy wife, happy life. So I would spend a lot of time trying to invest in making sure that the wives were happy, that people got time to go home, that the girls got time to go, you know, vice versa. It's not just boys, you know. But that takes a little bit of effort and encouragement, especially if you have a dedicated workforce who want to work really hard. So that piece about the military trying to get you to not look after yourself. It's not that they're trying not to look after yourself, but they want you to put the task first. Sure. And sometimes we forget that eating, sleeping, exercising, that is putting the task first. Because that's yeah. ensuring you're turning up your best self. Um, and I guess briefly just on that is I went to go and work with an SF task force after Germany. And I didn't really appreciate how toxic Germany had been until I went to the next task force. It was so different. And literally the first, within the first week, the commander just said, Alice, you're giving me 110%. What happens when something goes wrong? Said, I don't want that. He says, I need you to be working with something left in the bag, you know, le left in the bag. So I need the team to be working on 80%. And That's really yeah, so it, and ironically, it forces you to become more efficient. Because it's not that he wants any less out from the outputs. He just wants us to work less hard to get there, if that makes sense. Oh. So that terrible adage of work smarter, not faster was, and that was true because we were there for months and months and months and months and months on end, you know, high operational tempo every day. There is no day off. There is no disappear off for a long weekend or whatever. It's relentless. Sure. So if you're not looking after yourself from the first day you walk through the door, there is no opportunity to recuperate till you come home. Yeah, yeah. And those boys are amazing. They take time out for fizz. They eat really well. You know, they're fastidious about their food. They make sure they've got good sleep. You know, the office was always empty over sleep periods with a give or take, you know, people who were doing the watching the comms and things but right. you know i thought that was really really good discipline yeah so actually to look after yourself takes a lot of discipline sure. and irrespective of the tempo of who is coming they always made it to the gym 
they were all, you know, they're all little gym bunnies. So, um, you know, and, and so that was a real, just complete contrast from somebody who thought that they were working really hard, but actually creating a very toxic environment and exhaustion and actually burning everyone out, not from physically having to work so hard, but from mentally having to deal with their irrational behavior through to really focused comes back to the clarity of direction. They knew exactly what they wanted to achieve which then meant that all the decision-making was very clear towards one specific aim, be it for a target on that day or the kind of strategic output that UK PLC wanted. Yeah. And then you can then put your awareness around that. So you're aware of everything that, you know, very highly sensitive team, a big team, hundreds and hundreds of people. Mm. And then just the leadership presence, completely different. There were no two officers or soldiers the same. So there was no expectation of this cookie cutter, this is how you have to be. Each person was really relished for what they brought. Right. And so again, you'd think as a, as a female going into that environment, lots of people go, oh, that seems very unusual. All the press stuff you've seen recently about women going into the special forces, all that stuff. None of that. There were girls throughout because right. they're so focused on what they want to get out they go and find people who have the skill set that they need and they don't care what shape, size, variety or color they are. The whole point is, do you have what I need to get my job done? Right. And that is such a relief and a wonderful place to work because you know you're there because you've got a skill set they want. Sure. And that's very, very easy because therefore you focus on what you can provide and you know that you have to keep on functioning in a, in a good manner, which means that you then... Of course, you feel a bit guilty when you go to bed. Who doesn't? But I think that's because of our training rather than any rational rationale. And, uh, and then you're going, okay, but these guys are taking downtime and they're the highest performers in the military. So why on earth wouldn't I when I'm one of the supporting elements? Sure. Anyway, so that was fascinating seeing the resilience from that perspective too is you know, yeah, you, you really have seen it from both angles, haven't you? Yeah. you know, the the work hard and mentally and physically in Germany, and then the will actually work smarter over with the special forces. So that's um, really interesting. And I think um, you you know when you're saying about the guys going to the gym, I think Richard Branson. I'm probably misquoting because I'm quite good at misquoting. But I think it was Rich, Richard Branson that said the best thing that he can do for his business is go to the gym every yeah. day. It is. Absolutely. So we've just been doing um, a leadership workshop last week in Hereford. And funny enough, we all had to put up the good and bad tenets of leadership. And the first one I put up was the fact that great commanders, and this is in Civvy Street too, I hasten to add. So all of the people who I've met who are running multi-million pound businesses prioritize doing fizz. Right. Um, so the most successful of my peers um, and I say successful as far as who is running a multi-million pound business within the first couple of years of starting it. And now we're 15 years later. So uh, <laughs> he's done very well for himself. When I saw him a little while ago, he does yoga three times a day. Wow. Yeah, he does yoga and meditates three times a day. And he's a really highly accredited polo player. And, and he runs this financial multinational business because wow. and, and similarly I was in uh, India a couple of weeks ago working helping teams grow so mm -hmm. they have what they call is um, 
what do they call them? Gazelles. So gazelle wow. companies are basically ones that want 10 times growth a year. Okay. And a unicorn is one that's been a self-made company that's over a billion pounds. I've never heard of these terms before. No, Brilliant. me neither. And, and it was such an eye-opener. And basically, I was on a workshop package helping provide the workshops with this guy who does, and, and it's called a, the Gazelle Training Program. Um, yeah, have a look at it. It's, it's based uh, from some research done by a guy at MIT in America. Oh. Uh, and uh, yeah, so they call them the Rockefeller Habits. Ah. So it's all about how to grow your business. And literally on the final day of when we were with a uh, big company in Calcutta, there was the choice of going through the presentation that he was about to take into the board. This is the, the lead of this company or that he would normally be doing his yoga and meditation at that time. And I said, well, I'm going to the, uh, you know, I'm really sorry. I've got a flight, so I, I can't change. And mm. he said, well, Alice, I'm just really reticent to give up. That's my, yoga and meditation time and I said well don't change that you do that and literally he's like an international juggernaut if you know what I mean he's just like so focused once he's had that time in the morning I was like this is such a good example for me to see that actually he so they talk about sprints oh. and the idea that you can focus for about an hour and a half so you do right. a sprint of when you've got a task to do. So you literally switch off all comms, you take down all the notifications, you focus 120% on that for an hour and a half, and then you just take a step away, go and have a break, walk around, you know, be able to have a rest for maybe 15 minutes or so, and then you can go back. But the idea is that rather than doing a trickle of work all the way through the day, you've broken your tasks up and that's where things like doing an exercise, eating well and doing the meditation and things really helps focus the brain wow. and focus the mind because it's helping you actually clear, ready for then going on to do the next task. Sure. But it's, it's fascinating seeing it actually working. Yes, because I think a lot of us know this stuff, but actually putting it into practice. Yeah. Is, and is literally we'd been doing interviews all day and I was there to interview the, the C-suite, the, all of the executive team and see how they could improve their performance. And when we get to the end of the day, I thought, oh, well, naturally, I would normally be going for a debrief with the rest of the guys that sat in the meetings with me. No, not at all. No, Alice, it's our hour now. It's hour for what? It's, it's our gym hour. <laughs> so we walked. So I was like, okay, um, okay, <laughs> great. But there was absolutely, you sign on the contract that you will do an hour of the gym. But of course, what that then meant was we all went and cleared our minds rather than being stuck in the train of what we'd already been talking about all day. We all went and did some exercise, refreshed the mind, rebooted, had a shower, then came down for dinner to be able to discuss it together and just were able to have actually assimilated all of that information rather than going straight into analysis, having been in the meetings all day. Yeah. And I, again, I thought, yeah, I've read about this. I know when I've got time, it works. But how often do I really, really invest in making sure that this happens? Mm. Um, so it's been really refreshing and reassuring to see from my highest performing peer group that they do do that 40 minutes to an hour of fizz every day. Even my girlfriends that run their own businesses will be up at five, do an hour of yoga or meditation, then get the children up, hand the children over to the nanny and run to work. 
Right. And I'm like, where do you get the energy? Mm. Amazing. Absolutely it's, amazing. It's energy breeds energy, isn't it? Yeah. I've heard a good, really good example of this. Um, you know, when, when uh, I mean, I'm not a football fan, but when guys <laughs> finish the game of football and the team that's won is all, yeah, elated. And then the one, the team that didn't win is like, oh, shattered, you know. Yeah. That energy is yeah. just, you know, and I know it myself, if I've been to the gym in the, in the morning, I've got so much more energy for what I need to do next. Yeah. In the mornings where I think, oh, I haven't got time to the gym, I've got so much to do. And somehow it just sort of seems to take longer as well through it all so you're better off going to the gym and, and getting your your um yeah get your metabolism going but also if i mean if one looks at it really quite basically is you need oxygen to go to your brain for your brain cells to work so if yeah. you're actually pumping your blood around your body and then you're getting a good oxygen flow why wouldn't you perform better sure sure but we forget those bits if you know what i mean we're so focused on just trying to get, you know, like the hamster on the wheel, just get the next thing done. Exactly. That often we for, we're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Counterproductive in the long run, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, it affects your self-esteem and, you know, your body size and all that kind of stuff. And then that affects your ability to work too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you get overtired, you start eating rubbish food, and then they've got that down with no Absolutely. Some really important points there made by Alice. I was particularly interested in the work she did with the Special Forces after her experiences with the Toxic Commander and what a massive contrast she found with the culture, especially the exercise element. I know I'm guilty of having certain knowledge and not putting it to good use. As always, I'm looking for more interviewees, so please do get in touch if you know anybody that's got a story and they might like to share it. I'd really love to hear from you. It doesn't matter if it's a story similar to somebody else's because I really do believe your story in your voice has the ability to help someone in their time of need. With so much love, you've been listening to Alice Bromage, Pollyanna and the Be Glad Movement. Until next time, look after yourselves and look after each other.